Hello, and welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Yasas, Kalos Irthates do Harrisburg Adelfuse Cristo, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church, sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now, here's this week's sermon. I hope that it speaks to your heart. Good morning, church. Switch my hats now. Um, Before we get to our scripture and sermon this morning, I wanted to provide a brief update regarding Pastor Woody and specifically his father, uh, Glenn Dalton Sr., um, again, I want to apologize for getting the news out to some of you, or actually those of you who are on the mailing list. Sorry for getting the news out late on behalf of the staff. Um, but this past Tuesday morning, Pastor Woody shared at our staff meeting that he didn't get much sleep the night before. He woke up to this deep joy and happiness. He said it was almost like something had happened in heaven, and the Lord was kind enough to let him in on the secret. What a blessing to be a child of God. Amen? That's actually my entire sermon, so if you want to leave, you got it. But I'd appreciate it if you stay. It'll help me feel better by myself. Um, but after that long night, Pastor Woody got a call from his sister, Linda, who shared that the night before their dad, Glenn Sr., had finally decided to accept God's forgiveness and pledge his life and destiny to God. No doubt that's why the Lord felt it necessary to give Pastor Woody such a terrible night of sleep, but also that chance to feel and experience a little bit of heaven's joy. As Jesus himself reminded us that the angels rejoice every single time a sinner repents. And I'm sure they were rejoicing that night as Glenn Sr. was coming home. Amen. Pastor Woody got a chance to actually call later that morning then and to say his formal goodbye to his dad. Um, By that afternoon, we received word that Glenn Sr. had passed away. But even in this hour of grief, we can rejoice. That for all of Pastor Woody and his sister and his sister Linda and their families, but also for all of you, many of you, for the prayers of all of us for many, many years, 35 plus years now, that those prayers were answered in the affirmative. Amen. Glenn Sr. knows Jesus as Savior and he's now with him for eternity. The funeral um, will be on Tuesday. Then Pastor Woody plans to travel back home on Thursday. Uh, Pastor Woody also shared that the main emotion they're all experiencing now is gratitude. Gratitude for God saving their dad and gratitude for God taking him home. Please continue to pray for Pastor Woody and his family, um, for his sister Linda and her husband who've been very busy, but also who've been the primary caretakers for Glenn for these nine weeks. Let's just um, take some time to pray. Father and our God, we thank you that prayers are not just thrown into the dark or thrown against the wall, but that they're heard by you. God, thank you for this moment, for this reminder that sometimes it might take 35 plus years, but you hear us. God, we thank you that the faithful prayer of your people not only moves you, but it moves you to act. So we praise you and we share in that gratitude that Glenn Sr. now knows you and he's with you for eternity. So God, help us to be reminded of the power of not only prayer, but the power of a God who listens, of a God who loves, and a God who moves. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. 
Um, this morning we'll be returning back to the book of 1 John. So far in 1 John, we have learned that we are called to be witnesses of Jesus. We have learned that Jesus loves you and that Jesus wants you, all of you, all of the real you. In 1 John, we have also learned that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And because light is superior to darkness, we must be known more for shining our light into the darkness. Shining our light into the darkness within, but also the darkness all around us. In 1 John, we have learned and been reminded of this beautifully gracious truth, that the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The world may not be as it should be, but the darkness is passing and God's true light is already shining. In 1 John, we have also learned the importance to know God and remember. Know God and remember that we are shaped by God, that we are to follow God's commands, that our sins are forgiven, that in Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit, God can help us overcome the evil one every single day. Amen? Then in 1 John, we learned that we must love God and not this world. The flesh may rage, but the spirit that is within us is always more powerful. Our eyes may covet, but we can learn to teach our hearts contentment. Oh, when Jesus is Lord, is always the beginning to every answer that we really need. Amen? This is why John compels us as followers of Jesus to choose Christ and to keep choosing Christ. Every day and every hour, choose Christ and keep choosing Christ. Every trial and every tribulation, choose Christ and keep on choosing Christ. With every triumph and with every praise, Choose Christ and keep on choosing Christ. Which brings us to our passage this morning. The scripture's already up on the wall. We'll be reading from 1 John 2, 28 to 3, 3 in the NIV. In verse 28, we begin. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right was born of him. Papers are turned around. Pause. All right. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we shall be and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. A passage this morning represents an intentional and an ultimate, very significant shift in the epistle. Up until our text this morning, John's letter has been dominated by his insistence that his audience, the church, or perhaps a group of churches in that region, that all would listen to the scroll being read, that all would appreciate what he has to say based on the closeness of their relationship with him. John, their pastor, the apostle, the older saint, the witness, John, the best friend of Jesus. You know, one of the ways John does this is by referring to his audience over and over as my dear children. He does so on five occasions in the text so far. My dear children, do not sin. And if you do sin, praise God that Jesus our Christ, the righteous one, is our advocate before the Father and the one who is the atoning sacrifice for us and for the world. My dear children, I am writing because your sins have been forgiven in Jesus' name. My dear children, I am writing because you know our Father. Our Father is God himself. My dear children, we're closer to Christ's return, but each day as we get closer, those people and forces that oppose Christ, these antichrists, they'll keep coming and coming for you. 
John's writing so far is dominated by him thinking, hey, you know me, and I know Jesus. Hey, you know me, trust what I've learned from Jesus. Hey, you know me, and you know I love you. But the true lover of your souls is God, our Father, who you know gave us his Son, Jesus, our Christ, the one who lives and works in you, in me, and in our world. Amen? But beginning in verses 28 of chapter 2, the first verse of our text this morning, John shifts from presenting his closeness and relationship to his audience as something special. It's almost like John learned from Jesus, always begin where the people are before taking them to where God desires them to be. Meet the people where they are before taking them to where God desires them to be. And where were the people? Close to John. Because of their relationship with John, they gave him an audience. They trusted his voice. They sat under his teaching. They heard him, and some even heeded his words. You know, as a preacher, you take what you can get, knowing that not all who have ears to hear will ever truly hear the words that are coming out of your mouth. I believe that last line was no doubt inspired by talk this week, that there is a new Rush Hour movie in the works. But I digress. But that's where the people were, though. They were gifting John this audience because of their closeness to him. But where did John hope to take them? John hoped to take them to where God desired them to be. And where is that? In this passage, you can almost hear and feel the excitement when John proclaims, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. John hoped to take the people, his audience, the church, and all who had ears to hear, minds to know, and hearts to feel. John wished for all to know that the great miracle is not being close to John, but being close to God. The real blessing is not knowing John, but knowing Jesus, who is the Christ. That the real joy, joy, joy is to walk in light of this forever truth, that by the grace of God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the mercy and love of Jesus the Christ, beloved, we are children of God. Beloved, we are children of God. Amen? Now, I was texting with Pastor Linda a few nights ago, and we were talking through kind of where I felt God's taught me and was preparing me to share with you this morning. And we got to this point, and she goes, you know how we're God's children? It's something that I thank God for just about every day. It blows my mind regularly, regularly. You know, I think for so many of us, we're overdue a confession before God when it comes to this. See, I might know that I'm a child of God, But when's the last time I thought about what that even means? I might know that I'm a child of God, but how easy it is to find and make my identity anything but being God's child. I might know that I'm a child of God, but when is the last time that someone else knew that? We might know that we are children of God, but how often does that simple fact impact how we speak and how we think, how we live and how we love, how we grace and how we forgive? We might know that we are the children of God, but how come we tend to always think about me and not we? How come God so loved the world is so easy to manipulate into God only loves me and mine? Beloved, we are the children of God. Beloved, we are the children of God. Beloved, we are the children of God. Amen? 
I think for so many of us, we have lost or remaining capable of holding on to how special we are to God. I think our default thinking tends to be like, yeah, we're God's children, no big deal. As if that's not a big deal. Think about that for a second. Our default thinking, if we ever think about it at all, is that, yeah, we're God's children, no big deal. It's almost like, well, God loves you. And the response is like, well, he's God. He loves everybody. No, just no, no. That you are God's child is amazing. That you are loved by God is amazing. That God lives and breathes to love you is amazing. Beloved, we are God's children, and that is amazing. That is amazing. So yes, God has created us, but he created us, and and we are indeed the crowning achievement of all his creation. We are the ones who are together made in his image. We are the ones he calls his workmanship, his masterpieces. We are the ones for whom he sent his son. We are the one in whom he resides. We are the ones that neither death nor life, as we read earlier, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers. We are the ones that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation. We are the ones that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, we are the children of God. Amen. There's such a beautiful significance of being God's children that I pray we forever hold on to. You see, when someone creates, whether it's art or music, making a meal or a craft, an invention or a deeply defined and developed thought, when we create, first of all, that we create, when we create, we're just being like God, our Father, who is creator. But that's a point for later. We'll talk about that in a bit. But when you see someone who creates, whether it's art or music, making a meal or a craft, an invention or a deeply defined and developed thought, when we create, our creation often has embedded in it aspects of us. Our creation sometimes mirrors us. People can guess our personality or perhaps even see our values and our character by looking at our creation. Because what we create often points back to we who create. What we create often points back to we who create. So we as God's creation obviously have aspects of God that's embedded in us. In fact, there's more than that because God himself has taught us what? We're created in his image. As God's creation, it's possible that we mirror God. Like we just saw, God creates and yes, we too create. And in looking at us, even in the darkness... When you look at humankind, it's easy to be blinded. But even in the darkness of humankind, we know there's light shining through. Even in the brokenness of humankind, we know that there's redemption possible to be made whole. And even in the most bitter about humankind, we know that our God has power to make it sweet again. But you see, where we fall short is in thinking that we are simply just created by God. This is a fallacy because creation is wonderful. But children tend to take center stage, don't they? Don't they? See, I can maybe draw the best stick figure in the world or dream to actually sing on key. We all have dreams. I can make a mean big ZD or put together a toy house for our girls. I can invent wheelies, which I did in elementary school, and then they stole them. I'm not bitter or anything. I can invent or think I invented wheelies or or craft the best sermon point I've ever been gifted by God for this sermon. I can create all these things, but none of these things, not my stick figure nor my singing, praise God, not my big ZD or my girl's toy house, not my Zoom blades, that's what they were really called, or my sermon points, none of that will ever matter more to me than our girls Harper and Kennedy. 
You know, creation is wonderful. Creating is wonderful. Creation is wonderful. But children take center stage. And children always matter more than what we create. You see, by only thinking of yourself as being created by God, you miss what you really mean to God. Because children take center stage. And children always matter more than the rest of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. But you, you and you, you are the children he desires. You're the one he calls his masterpieces. You're the workmanship created in his image. All of creation might be groaning and eagerly awaiting its final redemption. But it was you and you and you. It was you, it was us that while we were still sinners, Christ came for Christ died for, Christ was raised from the dead for. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, but you and you and you, you're the children he desires to abide in. You are where the Spirit desires to call and make home. Sisters and brothers, creation is wonderful. Creating is wonderful. Creation is wonderful. But children always take center stage. Children always matter more than what we create. Beloved, you and you and you, we are the children of God. Amen? John's goal in our text this morning is to get us to understand the significance of being God's child. John wanted his sisters and brothers back then, and we, his kin, gathered together here this morning to know that being a child of God is a blessing. John thinks that you need to know that being a child of God comes with an inheritance. And John, I believe wholeheartedly and with great conviction, wants us all to know that being a child of God is a calling. Beloved, we are children of God, and that is a blessing, that is an inheritance, but it's also a calling. Amen? The first part of the blessing of being a child of God, we've already highlighted a little bit. <laughs> that the God of this universe spoke the world into existence but took the time to design you is an amazing thing to dwell upon. That the God of this universe spoke the world into existence but took the time to design you. The one who created you perfectly knows you and perfectly loves you more than you could ever hope or imagine. You know, we tend to be increasingly talented at putting up our walls and not being vulnerable, at being afraid to show our real selves. Child of God, you're blessed in this place. You're blessed for all of eternity that our God perfectly knows you and loves you. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. You know, do me a favor this week. I want you to read Psalm 139. I want you to read Psalm 139 every day this week. Read it every day. And every time you read it, close with a simple prayer. God, you perfectly know me. God, you perfectly love me. I am blessed to be your child. God, you perfectly know me. God, you perfectly love me. I am blessed to be your child. Amen? The second part of the blessing of being God's child, I think John begins our passage with is this. As a child of God, God gets to come in and make his home with you. That's another one that you can dwell on for a long time, right? That the God of this universe desires to come into you and make home with you. 
Surely John remembers and he wants his audience and, and us this morning to remember the words of Jesus himself in the gospel. Remember when Jesus says, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John's call here is that we, the children of God, may heed the words of Jesus. We are blessed that God comes to make home in us and with us. We are blessed that abiding in Christ leads to us bearing fruit that in turn makes on earth and as in heaven impossible. We're blessed that when we can partner with God as he makes home with us to make his kingdom come, to make his will be done. We are blessed because when we make home in Christ every day and in every moment, we serve God now and, be, and we can be confident and unashamed that when Christ returns, he'll say, that's my sister. That's my brother. We're blessed because when we make our home in Christ, we learn to listen and to submit to the Holy Spirit within and not the flesh which so easily rages or the eyes that so quickly covet. We're so blessed as children of God because if we abide in Christ, when we make our home in Christ every day and every moment, we do what is right. Doing what is right is proof that we belong to God. Doing what is right makes us live and love like Jesus. And when we live and love like Jesus, we look like our Father. And sisters and brothers, looking like God our Father, that is indeed our blessed inheritance as the children of God. Children look like their parents. I know. You probably didn't anticipate all the great truth you were going to be blessed with this morning. But here it is again. Hopefully you got your seatbelt on. Children look like their parents. Revolutionary, I know. But the important thing here is that this isn't just true with our physical traits. Children quite often look like their parents in behavior and with mannerisms. Children quite often look like their parents in character and characteristics. Children quite often look like their parents in values and in worldview. You know, our daughter Harper believes that she is the funniest person she knows. It's a Johnson family trait that never skips a generation. It warms my heart anytime she tells a joke because it's almost always will bring her more joy and make her laugh harder than you ever will. It's not hard when you're the funniest person you know. I know. And our daughter Kennedy is a quick learner. She also has this quiet determination that is both graceful and fierce. You know, in that way, she'll never, never... Never not let you know how she feels, if she needs to. She's only one, but she reminds me so much of her mother in this. Children look like their parents. They do so in behavior and with mannerisms, in character and characteristics, in values and worldview. This is the inheritance that comes with being a child of God. So then the challenge for us this morning, and honestly for the rest of our days, the challenge for us is that this inheritance to look like God our Father is something that we're called to do. You know, we may not physically know what God looks like, but here's the thing. We're called to resemble him. God has left the spirit and we, his children, to show the world how he acts, what his manners are, his character and characteristics, his values, his worldview. Our challenge, our inheritance is to look like our father. Now, I would tell people Jesus did his job, right? Jesus came. He lived, he loved, he died on Calvary's tree, he was raised again on the third day. Right now he's in heaven, preparing heaven so that it's perfect for you. That's another one of those thoughts that you can dwell on forever. 
that God spoke the world into existence, but heaven isn't ready yet because it's not crafted perfectly enough yet for you. That's what Jesus is doing. But what God's left behind to show the world who he is, is the spirit and you the church. That's what the world has. When you see brokenness, God says, I have my spirit and I have my children. When you see darkness, God says, I have my spirit and I have my children. When you see the world's not as it should be, God's response is, I have my spirit and I have my children. This is our inheritance. Our work, our job, our calling, our inheritance is that we have to look like our father to our world. We have to look like our father to our world. That's not Jesus' job. That's not the father's job. That's your work and inheritance. Amen? So no big deal. No pressure at all. God's gifted you this inheritance of showing the world what he looks like. But I think this is another reason why Jesus is so important. Yes, Jesus came to go to Calvary's tree. Yes, Jesus came to conquer sin and death once and for all. Yes, Jesus came so that we, the lost children, can come back home again. But sisters and brothers, never forget that Jesus also came to live. Jesus is God taking on skin. Jesus is God walking our roads. Jesus is God showing us how to light the paths, navigating the trials and tribulations of this world, and conquering them while committing no sin. Jesus came to teach us how to look like God our Father. Jesus came to show us how to please God. Jesus came to show us how to love like God our Father loves. You know, how does God behave? Jesus. What are God's mannerisms like? Jesus. What is God's character like? Jesus. What are some characteristics of God? Jesus. What are God's values? Jesus. What is God's view of the world? Jesus. Shout out to my fifth grade Sunday school teacher. She'll be really proud. I gave you guys a quiz and the answer was Jesus and you all got it right. Even though you didn't talk back, but I'm sure you were thinking it. This is why the epistle to the Colossians, Paul says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Our inheritance is that we are to look like God our Father here on earth. Sisters and brothers, it is our inheritance to look like God our Father. But to do so, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, one of the most underrealized truths about Jesus, an actual proof that he looked very much like God the Father, is simply this. There is almost nothing that Jesus did that our Father had not already done. We've already talked about how Jesus was there in the beginning and all that was made was made through him. Jesus is creator, just like our father. He resembles him. But Jesus also showed power over sicknesses and diseases. So did the father in the Old Testament. Jesus also showed power over creation. 
just like our father in the Old Testament. Jesus had power to forgive sins. He desired true worship and repentance. He taught and called the people to follow him. He provides food for his people. He showed great compassion even on those who sinned against him. He meets people where they are. He exhibits even righteous anger. Jesus is just like our father. One of the greatest injustices you can do as a Christian is to think the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are two different people. They are not. They're not. Jesus only is a child of God, and as a child of God, he's resembling his father. Nothing that Jesus does, the father didn't already do. Now, do we have a more full picture of what God looks like in Jesus? Yes. But Jesus is just doing his job as God's son to do what the father has done. So the challenge then becomes for us, if Jesus is up there getting heaven ready for us, the challenge becomes for us to do what? The same. The same. This world needs us to be like our Father. This Lord needs us to know what God is like, what God thinks like, what God says, what God does, how God lives, how God loves. This world needs you, and God's blessed this world with you. Every single person in this room, we have different skills, gifts, and abilities. We have different avenues of influence and people we're connected to. That only means that each of you are uniquely, uniquely crafted and created by God to impact who you can impact, to show the world what he looks like, Amen? Our inheritance is to look like our Father in words and in actions, in deed and in truth. The New Testament Gospels clearly depict that Jesus is very much like the Father in behavior and character. This is why John is able to conclude in his writing that the God of the Father is made known through the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. The Gospels in the Old Testament also provide witness to Jesus' claim of deity, as well as proof that to know Jesus is to know the Father. To see Jesus is to see the Father. Our inheritance is to look like our Father. And to do so, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. To do so, we have to learn how God thinks, how God acts, how God moves. We have to get to know who God is. How do we look like God if we don't know Jesus? And don't spend time getting to know God. You know, I think we also must learn to have a conversation with God. Some of us may call that prayer. But most prayers should be conversations, shouldn't they? Because any conversation in which only one person is doing all the talking is not a conversation. Any conversation where only one person is asking for things might be more of an abusive relationship than a conversation or really a prayer. Have a conversation with God this week, maybe even today. Learn to listen, really listen. Above all things, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Our inheritance is to look like our Father, and to do so, we have to know and study and learn from Jesus the Son. Why? Because Jesus is what the Father looks like, and Jesus is what the world needs. But if we are also children of God, and Jesus is presently in heaven, then the flip is that we are what the world needs to know what the Father is like. That's the duty. And that gets us to the fact that being a child of God is a calling. For many of us, when we think, if we think about what it means to be a child of God, it's something intangible. It's something high and holy that we can't touch or, or experience or talk about. And I think this just paralyzes us to do nothing. But if you understand that being a child of God is a calling, that means that God is calling you to actually do something about that. Right? That means God is actually asking something of you. That being in this family isn't just like a, a nice little status symbol. It means you got to get to work. You got to get to work.
Because our calling is things that we have to do. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to show God's love. If there's anyone in our life that doesn't know what God's love looks like, that's not God's fault. That's our fault. We have to show God's love. We have to put God's love and let it take on skin. We have to go into the darkness and shine our light because Jesus, before he left, said what? You are the light of the world. We have to look at brokenness in the eye and say, we believe our God can make you whole again. We have to look at everything that's wrong with the world and then ask God, what can I do to help? What are you already doing that I can join in? It is our work, our calling to show the world what God looks like. We're also called to reflect God. Right? That means our people around us shouldn't have to, to think really hard about what are the things God values? What are the things that God believes? Right? Jesus was always particular to tell us what? His kingdom is coming, but it's already here. So that means that we don't just pine for heaven. No, we work to make on earth as it is in heaven. That means that we don't just dream of a better day and complain about the darkness. No, 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 no. That means you're supposed to be the light. And you're supposed to make the kingdom come and God's will be done. With the power of the Holy Spirit, with Jesus as our God, with the power of our God and Father, you can make on earth as it is in heaven possible. The kingdom is coming. But sisters and brothers, we're already here, amen? We're called to make God known by how we live. By the regular things you're going to do today and tomorrow. Do the people around you know God through what you do? I'm not talking about anything highly spiritual or super holy, but just in your regular everyday scenes, the regular way you think and speak and interact with people. Do they even know you're a Christian? Does it matter? Do they know that you love them? Do they know that God is radiating and living inside of you and bubbling over so that they can't help but feel contagious? Do people know what you believe and who you believe and, and what you value by just by knowing you? When they look at you, do they see God our Father? Because sisters and brothers, that's our job. And lastly, you know, John closed with, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Be holy as Christ is holy. You know, I think a lot of times in Christianity, we talked a little bit before about how we're so quick to find our identity in everything else but being God's child. How we're so quick to get our wisdom from everyone else but God himself. How we're so quick to, to forget the fact that we're not meant for this world. We're not meant to fit into this world. So if we assess ourselves and we fit in with the way the world thinks, the way the world acts, what the world does. Are we really being God's children? Are we really being God's children? Because sisters and brothers, we're not just called to, to stand out, right? We're called to shine. We're not just called to be different. We're called to pull people and draw them to God by how we live and how we love. Sisters and brothers, it's not just about hating the world and complaining about the world. God says, no, 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 no. You're my church, and I'm going to use you to save the world. So my last challenge for you this week is to take some time and to think through really, really, what does it mean that I'm going to try to look like Jesus? How is it going to impact everyone I come in contact with, right? I like making big goals, right? We can't give you one or two. Everyone you come in contact with, how are they going to see God by how you live, by how you love? I'd like to invite the worship team up, um, whoever's closing the last song. I'd like to invite them up. I'd like to also um, invite the intercessors up. We would love to pray for you about any and everything. Um, 
But before we go to this last song, as the choir comes up, I again want to tell you that being a child of God is probably one of the greatest blessings that we can ever experience in this life. But the key and the core for us is to not just make this an idea, but a lived reality. And the best way you can make it a lived reality is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Learn to live and love like Jesus. When in doubt, turn to Jesus. When you want to know what God thinks of something, go to Jesus. Because if we're willing, if we're willing to walk in the truth of being a child of God, we will see that forever and always, God can use us to show this world that he is love, mercy, grace, compassion, forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Let's sing together.
Lord, we pray that that may be our prayer now and forever, that we always are, are people who turn our eyes to Jesus. For when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can do great things like walk on water, but we can also do great things that make it through another day, like breathe, like give thanks for who God is. God, we thank you for this word this morning, for the blessing of being your child, that it means that not only do we resemble you, but that we have a call in our lives to show your love to this world. So God, help us in all things to go out and truly live in a way that we can elevate the people around us by pointing them to you. Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for not only going to Calvary and raising on the third day, but we thank you that you taught us how to live to please God. So help our eyes to always be fixed on you. And God, I pray for us as a family here this morning, that we're a family that's seeking to shine our lights into darkness, that we're a family that's not running from brokenness, but taking God with us into that brokenness to make whole, that we're a family that's not complaining about darkness, but living to shine our light for your glory, to make on earth as it is in heaven possible, to make your kingdom come, to make your will be done. Amen? Amen. God be with you all.